You're fed up with the nine to five. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from the traditional career, but don't know how. Business Breaks is here to help. This is the Business Breaks podcast and I'm your host, Dante Healy. Today's guest is Tony Kitchens, author, entrepreneur and philanthropist who has generated over 100 million in business revenues. With a life filled with highs and lows, Tony shares his belief that challenges can be turned into fuel for an amazing life. In this episode, Tony shares his journey and the key traits required for successful entrepreneurship. Things like dedication, determination, persistence, hard work, and faith. He emphasizes the importance of connecting with real business leaders and shares his mission to help others build successful, impactful businesses. So get ready to learn from one of the most experienced and inspiring entrepreneurs out there. Tony, welcome to Business Breaks. Hello, Dante. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to spending some time with your audience today. Hopefully they'll learn something from our conversation. I'm sure they will. So thank you, Tony. And to get us started, can you tell us more about your background and what led you to become an, an entrepreneur? Absolutely. I was born in Chicago in the United States, and I grew up to a modest family. Again, looking back as a child, you don't know what socioeconomic status you're in. You're just happy as a kid. <laughs> and looking back, my parents did an absolutely amazing job of providing what we needed Maybe not always what we wanted, but what we needed. And I remember as a young boy, my uncle who lived in Puerto Rico was a business person. He was an entrepreneur. And he still is to this day. He's still alive. And that's a blessing. And I just remember when he came to visit us and the stories that he used to tell of the places he would travel to Italy and Spain and all over the world doing business. And I was just amazed by that. And here I am, this little kid who can barely look over the edge of the table, sitting, listening to these conversations with him and my parents. And it just seemed like the best thing ever. And he never really called himself an entrepreneur. But later I would find out that that's what he was. He was a business person. And from that moment forward, I was just intrigued with business. And I just... Everything I could read about business, I did. And this was pre-internet. So mm. I read autobiographies, biographies, magazines when those were popular back in the day, Inc. Magazine and Fortune. And, and anything I could about business and entrepreneurship, I just gravitated toward. And I think the lesson there is we are who we are today primarily because of what we experienced when we were little boys and little girls. I think it's so important to have both role models you can look up to as well as the environment. And to an extent, as you say, it's what you feed into your mind as well and what what sources you allow to educate you, shall we say. And that's that's a great story. And thank you for that, Tony. So what do you think sets successful entrepreneurs apart from those who aren't maybe successful? Because I've I've been I've grown up in um, shall we say a family of modest means as well, and my dad was a business owner, but probably not 
by the financial definition successful, shall we say. Well, congrats to your dad and to your family because that is a rough road. Entrepreneurship is a rough road. Hmm. It's not glamorous. It's a lot of hard work, just like a lot of careers are a lot of hard work. But Hmm. I think the thing that I recognize in other people along the way and things that I picked up along my journey to be an entrepreneur is that one, you never give up. You may change the vehicle that you use to get to a certain destination, but that destination is far more important than the vehicle that you use, meaning that you may go from one business to the next, or you may have several businesses over the course of a lifetime. So I think one thing is to never give up on a dream or the ultimate goal. That's extremely important. And that resilience is a trait that I've seen in entrepreneurs that I've experienced firsthand in my life and those that I read about. I think the other thing is, is, is it the right vehicle? For example, I could be the best hot dog salesman in the world, standing outside of a major baseball stadium, major baseball arena. But the question becomes, will I ever sell enough hot dogs or cans of soda to make a million dollars? And I can work all day and all night. I can be very dedicated to it. I can be the best salesperson on earth. But if it's just me selling 20 or 30 hot dogs an hour for four hours a day, is that going to get me to a place where I can be ultra successful from a financial standpoint? Hmm. And the answer is, I doubt it, but I don't know because I've never tried it. Here's the reality. The vehicle, the products, the services, the solution you're offering, are those high enough ticket items? Or can you sell enough of those things to reach a a financial level of success? And that's extremely important. So I think as we look at the landscape of entrepreneurs, some of them aren't necessarily in it just for the money, but they're really, they wouldn't really want to have the freedom to be with their families and friends and maybe they want to travel and maybe they want to do a little bit more than they could by having a nine to five job. But when you look at the entrepreneurs who have made an extreme amount of money, first of all, they are in a vehicle, they're providing a good or a service that is scalable to not only be national, but international. So I think that's extremely important. So as we look at the definition of success, It depends on what the entrepreneur, what the business person is really looking to achieve. If it's financial success, you have to have a scalable product or offering, and you have to be able to offer that to the masses as opposed to a boutique set of clients. For example, is this something that a million people can purchase? Is this something that maybe internationally you can sell a million or five million of them? If you're, for example, just providing a service that not that only you can provide, your growth is going to be limited by the number of hours in a day, the number of hours in a week, multiplied by the hourly rate or the fee that you charge for that service. And that's going to be your ceiling unless you bring mm-hmm. someone else on. So I think success is definitely determined by the entrepreneur and by the solution or problem that they're solving and how scalable that is.
very true, Tony. And again, it comes down to what's your strategy, and that should be aligned to your capabilities as well as, to an extent, the market. So whatever you're selling, is there a market for it? And what's the size of that market? And therefore, that determines, I guess, your pricing strategy uh, in as much as the competitors as well. So, um, yeah, that's that's really insightful. Thank you. And then to that extent, uh, from your own personal journey, what's the biggest challenge you faced in your journey as an entrepreneur and how did you overcome it? I think one of the things is running a company. One of the hardest parts, in all honesty, is human resources, is dealing with people, mm. dealing with employees over the years. Is probably one of the the most challenging things that I've faced, not in a negative way, but it's because you look at your employees and your team and you are responsible for their lives, their financial lives. And that's a heavy, heavy weight. That's a burden that you, you don't wish on anybody unless they really want it. But it's tough because every time an employee has a child, or they buy a new home, or they buy a new vehicle, a lot of the money that's going to pay those bills comes from the, the the company that you have. And when you wake up every day, it's not just your life that you see, it's the lives of all of the people who depend on you. And it's a great weight, not just your employees, but also your suppliers, your clients. There's a really big responsibility. So probably one of the challenging things is knowing that your dreams and your goals are going to be connected to the dreams and goals of a lot of other people who may work with you or for you. And that gives a certain level of sobriety to any business that you have. I think other than that, you can learn and you can adapt to new products and new services and accounting measures. You'll hire a good team, a good legal team. You hire a good accounting team that can take care of those things. You can hire good salespeople all day long. There's no shortage of them. And to develop new products and new service offerings, you just get a bunch of smart people around the table and figure out a problem and how to solve that problem. But again, I think the weight of the responsibility of running a corporation and all of the people, the ecosystem that you build it just creates a such a an enormous sense of responsibility and you can't shake it it's with you 24 hours a day and even when you're relaxing you still have in the back of your mind that oh such and such just got married and they're building a family and they're building a life and they're depending on you to get up and do the things that other people don't want to do and i think that's probably one of the the most sobering things that I've experienced in business myself. Yeah. I mean, leadership isn't easy, especially when you own the business and there's so many people depending on you. That's a huge obligation. And Absolutely. I guess makes it bigger than just yourself. <laughs> and speaking of bigger than just, you know, yourself and your own personal mission, I understand you, you're also a philanthropist. So how is that journey your and your philanthropic work influence your entrepreneurial pursuits and also vice versa does is it a virtuous circle or is it kind of uh shall we say conflicting obligations 
<laughs> That's a great question, Dante, but you framed it correctly, I believe. It's, <clears throat> I think, first of all, it's clearly defined in what philanthrop- uh, philanthropy is as opposed to charitable work. A lot of people can just write a check and pull it in the mail or send money to a charitable organization that you may see on TV. And that's good. And we need more of that. We need people to continue to do that. And you show up any way that you can. The difference between that and philanthropy is philanthropy is when you take up a cause or you join into a cause and you're there to see the beginning, the middle, the end of it. And it not only involves financial resources, it also involves a lot of your time and effort and for you to go out and connect with other people and get them to buy into the vision of this organization or this particular cause that you have. So as far as the life of a business person and how I connected to philanthropic causes, it was through the ability to have a profit in the corporation that allowed me to be able to give of my resources financially and time to causes that were very important. And as my wife and my son and I traveled around the world these past 32 years, we've seen people who need things that we had, and we were able to help them in a very organized fashion. And some of them just you know, as we saw them, we were able to just help them in the short term. But we also had strategic relationships with organizations and people. So we were able to look at them and say, okay, what projects do we need for this particular community, especially around the world? We did water projects in Africa, for example, in Kenya. And that took several months to get water pipelines routed to the places they need to be. And we helped communities there. And we look at projects as long-term pieces of a puzzle. For example, water connecting with educating the the students, the young people in the community, Mm. along with housing and along with other things that they needed at different points in their lives. And it's long-term. So our work in Kenya, for example, started back in 2017, and it's ongoing. And you have to have the financial resources, though, I think, to connect to to your question, the financial resources to be able to give. And that goes to having a healthy company. When you build a healthy business where you have profits, you can't give if you don't have profits. So in my journey, growing a healthy business that was profitable, I was able to use profits from the corporation to help these other causes. And then through my own pay that I derived from the company, we were able to to do things from a personal standpoint. And it's extremely important to know that entrepreneurship is more than just making a dollar for you. It's about what comes about for your community and the things that you can do for other people as well. But you want Mm -hmm. to have a healthy corporation first because you can't help people if you can't help yourself. But once we were profitable, we gave as much as we could to causes, and we continue to do that today. But we want to see a change. We want to see the people impacted by our giving. So we're very connected with them, and we're able to talk to them and understand the needs change every single day. And 
that's very important to us. So as I continue to grow businesses today, I understand in the back of my mind, part of the motivation is that it's not only helping me and my family, but we have these causes all over the world that we're contributing to. In those days, Dante, when you wake up and you just don't, you're tired, you don't want to work anymore. I not only think about my family, but I think about people 8,000 miles away who are depending on us to help secure part of their future as well. Such an inspiring message, Tony. And it's so true. You have to be able to have a mission that is bigger than yourself, but it has to start from yourself. You have to be that person who can do those things. And the and the business is such an, a valuable vehicle for doing that, I can see. And, and thank you for sharing that story uh, about Water in Kenya and other projects, education, housing. It's all critical, especially for those who really do need it. Um, so It is. And I think one of the important things that I've learned mm. through our work is that we receive way more than we give. Right. What we've okay. given, putting kids in school and and food and clothing and shelter, the feeling that you get of, of satisfaction by knowing that you're helping other people, it's indescribable. So as much as they feel like we're helping them, their response and seeing these little kids and being able to talk and communicate with these people who have become our friends is way more rewarding than the amount of money that we could give them. So those relationships make us better as people. It's, it's, it makes our family stronger, that bond stronger. And when I get a call on WhatsApp from the people in Kenya or around the world that we help, it's just, you just start smiling because you know that you've had an impact on somebody else's life and you know that they are appreciative of that. So the, the, the blessing comes to us as opposed to us thinking that we're blessing them. Yeah. And that's, that's powerful. That's real impact. And you can't put a price on that. So that's amazing. Um, so coming into your book, The Gift of Pain, you discuss how pain can be a powerful tool for personal growth. And I think everyone's experienced pain at some point in their life uh, to different degrees. But could you tell us a little bit more about that from your personal perspective? Sure. I think at a certain point in your life, you get tired of <laughs> dealing with the things that life throws you, right? Yeah. And what I mean by that is, is if you take it personally, and a lot of the experiences that we go through are very personal, but if we take it so personal that we believe that the world or life is against us, it's out to get us, then I think what happens is we get offended by that. We retreat. We try to run away from anything that's difficult because we don't want to deal with that pain or we don't want to deal with the fear. And oftentimes we lose out on some of the best opportunities to grow ourselves and to become stronger and to callous our minds to a point where we could we are able to continue to move forward after things happen. So in the book, what happened was at the end of closing the company back in 2019, it was just a very difficult time in a lot of different ways. 
I had that business for 29 years. It was just, you know, it was a really difficult time. And Dante, I really just started to sit down and write. And I was just thinking, how do I get through this? And I just wanted to really detail and remember, go back, remember difficult times that I had faced in the past. I just started writing down and thinking, okay, I remember that. And how did I get through that? Okay, it wasn't just a matter of time. I had to do work. I had a lot of praying I had, I had to do. <laughs> I had to talk to other people who had been through similar situations. And that was very refreshing and it just gave me hope. And I remembered in my writing that I got through things that were much more difficult than this. But at the time when you're dealing with something very painful, it's the most present thing for you. It's the thing that's at the forefront of your mind. It's the thing you you wake up to every single day and you forget that you have been through things that were probably more difficult. And that's what happened. So as I just sat down and started writing, probably 10 chapters into it, I realized that it could become a book because there was no structure. It was just a Microsoft Word document full of a bunch of random thoughts. And I I told my wife, I said, you know, this is really good information. I think it can help other people. And I said, I really need to organize this into something that I can present to people, to give to people. And that's what it became. So I, I didn't want to talk about the successes that I had because that's what everybody does today, right? Is talk about the things they bought and the places they've been. And that's good. But I think what people really want to know is, that there's someone like them out there in the world who also has faced or faces difficulties and that it's not something that it's just them that they're experiencing. And these different parts of life that we go through and losing loved ones and having financial challenges and challenges with relationships, friends and other, all of us go through those things. Every single one of us goes through those things. And what we're really looking for in the middle of that storm, so to speak, is not necessarily someone to get us out of it, but just to know that someone has been through it and then you can go through it as well. And I think that's really what it was about. And that's why I call it the gift of pain, because I was able to look at those painful situations and realize the lessons I realized some of the blessings that I got out of those things, even after my mom passed, right, which was a very difficult time. What that did for me was prepare me for other things, because two years after she passed, we had a huge hurricane in Puerto Rico where we lived. The eye of the storm, one of our home, 4000 people died that night or the following days and weeks. And if it wasn't for that significant loss that I'd had losing my mom at that time, I was able to kind of compartmentalize now the loss of all of this physical stuff. The home was just, it was just battered and our friends and loved ones didn't have power for eight, nine months, some of them a year. No food, no water, no access to bank. Everything was shut down for months. And I was able to pull some of the things I remember when my mom was, 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 was dealing with cancer in my mind. And how did I continue to move forward knowing that she wasn't going to be with me 
in, in the next couple of months. How do you come to grips with that? Then mm-hmm. now having to deal with the storm or closing the business, I realized that I was tougher than I was or tougher than I knew I was. And it was partly because of the challenges that I faced in life in the past. And the blessing now to have the tools to be able to deal with the one that I was dealing with today. And that's the gift of the pain. So profound. And yeah, I I, I hear what you're saying, or I think I do, <laughs> in the sense that it's adversity that shows you what you're capable of. Not just that, it actually teaches you that you your limits um because we all we all get setbacks the key thing is never to give up and also without that pain without that struggle you can't appreciate the good times as much so it's also about perspective and dante think about it if we spend most of our time trying to run from difficult things the hard work Mm. what what part of ourselves do we not recognize yeah. Right? Do we become really who we really should be as human beings if we're just trying to avoid every difficult thing in life? That could be, you know, exercising. It could be putting in late hours for work or the late hours of, of uh, that it takes and requires to start and grow a business or to love unconditionally so that you have the best relationships that you can possibly have. That's scary to say, I'm all in in this relationship. I'm all in. If I get hurt, so be it. But I'm all in. That's scary. There's fear there. And there's potential for pain. But if we say to ourselves, I'm going to avoid relationships because I don't want to be hurt in the future, what do we miss? Right? What do we miss if we're afraid to start a business because of the fear of the pain of maybe not making money? in the first couple of years or having it to be out there on our own and not really having a level of guidance that we have at work when someone's telling us what to do. So if we avoid difficult times in life and we run away from those things and, or we, we, we avoid them altogether, we'll never know what we can truly become. And really that for me, I'm afraid of that more than anything is one day I'm going to be in a position where I have to look back at my life and I don't want to be that person who says, I wish I would have, or I should have, or imagine what I would have been if I would have just taken a chance. I don't want to be that person. So the only thing that I can really say that I fear is one day looking back and having regrets about what I could have done, who I could have helped, and who I could have become. And I just choose to not go down that road. And I would rather push through and deal with whatever pain I have to push through today to realize who I really want to be later down the road. Very wise words. Thanks, Tony. And I think you've answered my next question, so I'll move on. (laughs) It was about how entrepreneurs can use that pain. And from... Let me paraphrase that uh, to uh, to fuel their success, and it's uh, it's avoiding that fear of regret, almost like um, despite the pain, it should be your fuel to drive you to to give your best and not be not stay down when you fall. 
but to get yeah. back up and get get back in the game. So that's that's really profound. <laughs> Thank you. So I'd like to focus a little bit more on uh, the leadership side of your um, your background. And can you share some advice on how do you maintain resilience during those difficult times? Now, obviously, you have that deep underlying purpose. You want to avoid the fear, that regret in the future. But is there anything else, any techniques you use to actually keep your perspective when times are like really tough and you think you can't catch a break? <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of times I felt like I couldn't catch a break. <laughs> <laughs> right, Nante? That's yeah. that's the story of all of our lives. Yeah. I think one of the things from an entrepreneurial standpoint, though, is, is having a support system. And we hear that, but what does that really mean? When people talk about having a good support system, for example, at work, you know, there, there have been times where I would be in the office and we just couldn't catch a break. Right. We had customers that owed us a lot of money. We had contracts that were on hold. Just it just seemed like we just couldn't win. And what I what I used to do is I would just sit in my office and I think people inherently know when other people are dealing with something that's difficult. Right. Mm. And I just remember the engineers and the technicians would come sit in my office with me. And especially when I didn't live where our, our main office was, when I would go into the office from and be out of town and I would go there for a couple of days and they would just come in my office and they would sit on the couch. They would sit on the floor. They would have their laptops. And we didn't even really talk, but we would just sit there and we would do our work. And it was just this cool environment where when I looked at them, I realized that especially they were mostly young people female and male. Mm -hmm. And as I looked at them and they would have their heads down working, I thought to myself, whatever I'm dealing with right now, it's okay. Because these young people are dependent on me. And I'm looking at them and this is their future, right? And I have to shake this off, whatever it is. And that to me, Focusing on other people took me out of my headspace of dealing with whatever I was dealing with. Mm. And I looked at them and said, you know, okay, let's shake this off. We would order lunch, we would talk, we would laugh. And soon the the the, the gravity of whatever I was dealing with went away. The problems didn't go away, but the mm. gravity, the weight of it went away. And Having that support system, again, surrounding yourself with people who are moving forward, even though they are not there giving you advice and guidance and counsel, just being in the presence of other people has helped tremendously. But what I would tell you if I was to offer advice or guidance to another person in those similar situations, what I would say is find a peer. So as business owners, I knew a lot of other business owners in a lot of different fields, a lot of different services and products that they sold. And I met them through networking events. So just in 29 years and 32 years of business, you meet other business owners and they become your network. And when I was dealing with something I didn't know how to resolve, I would just pick up the phone 
and call them and say, hey, I'm dealing with this situation, this contract situation. Here's the here's the overall summary. Tell me what you think about it. And Dante, I would tell you more often than not, they'll say, oh, that's easy. I dealt with that six years ago. Let me tell you how I got through it. And I'm thinking, really, this is it? I'm stressed out for two days and I can just call you up and within two minutes, you can give me some hope because this is not yeah. something that's unique to me and my business. Oh, wow, that's amazing. That's yeah. the network that we need to have. But you can only get that from peers who are at a place where you are or who have been at a place where you're trying to go. So I couldn't necessarily talk to family members about these complex business issues, right, because they weren't necessarily in the place to be able to provide guidance. But it's the same thing that we deal with in life, Dante, as leaders of our families. We talk to other leaders of their families. How are you dealing with 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 the with the son who's off in college now. How did you deal with that when your daughter went to college? Mm. Well, I drank a lot. Well, I don't drink, so that's not my <laughs> <laughs> right. But you do yeah. seek out other peers who who can provide guidance. And I'll tell you, Dante, it's so comforting when you have a community of people that you can just reach out to and speak with. That makes everything better. It doesn't make problems go away, but it's just that that feeling that you're not by yourself, that you didn't create this huge issue. Or if you did, that there is a way to get it fixed. There's always an answer. We may not like what that answer is, but there's always a solution to a problem. So I would say from a leadership standpoint, you have to develop a good team at work of like-minded people. You have to develop a good relationship, a a good number of relationships outside of work at home and with your friends. And you'll find that you can only go to your specific friends about specific issues. Right. So if it's something I'm dealing with, that's, that's very difficult relating to life. There's a Mm -hmm. friend that I can go to. If there's one I'm dealing with, with spirituality, I can go to another one because that's kind of what they're good at. Right. If I'm dealing with someone just because I'm grieving the loss of a family member and, you know, an anniversary is coming up of their death or something along those lines, I can go to another family friend that I have who's dealt with the same thing, the same number of times that I have. So there is not one person necessarily in my life that I can deal with every single issue that I face or every single challenge that I come against. But there is a group of them and I know where to go when to go to those people in personal relationships, business relationships, Dante, I'll tell you the business can change. People will come and go in your life, but those relationships will always carry you through. It's the most valuable asset we have in business. And it's the most valuable asset we have in our personal lives are these relationships that we've been blessed with. Bravo. (laughs) That is so profound. And yeah, I think we are, uh, yeah, to the extent we're connected, that that really helps our impact and our ability to weather the storms because, yeah, no no person's an island. We have to have uh, connections. And you can't just always rely on one person like your partner, your wife, because that puts too much pressure on them. And it also puts a lot more pressure on you if, 
if both of you are struggling with the same situation. So yeah, totally agree. And thanks for sharing. And in terms of, because you've answered my next question on leadership, which was about regulating emotions and so important to have that purpose and also then the right network that can help you uh, course correct or even level set what you're doing. Uh, but in terms of the future of entrepreneurship and how things are evolving, what do you see as the future of business in the next decade? I guess with technology being one of the enablers at the same time, cultural shifts, uh, moving from more globalization to localization because of supply chain disruption and high, uh, high fuel costs, for example. Uh, are there things that you're seeing in terms of trends that will shape the future of business today? Very, very good question. Very deep question that mm. I have a few responses to. And I'm sure other people can chime in as well with a thousand different views on this. There is a movie called Jurassic Park. The first Jurassic Park came out many years ago. And in that movie, these scientists were very busy making dinosaurs that had been extinct for a long time. And Jeff Goldblum, the actor, Malcolm, had a very profound line. And he was sitting there with the scientists and the owner of this park. And he said, your, your scientists were so busy figuring out how to make dinosaurs that they never for once thought about if they should. And he was referring to the fact that at this point, everything was just out of control. Mm. Everything was just out of control. And when I look at business, I often say that business has no soul. That when you look out now, good luck trying to call a bank or anybody you do business with and actually connect with a human being. Yeah. It's extremely rare, right, Dante, where you can yeah. call customer service for anybody that you're paying a, a fee to every single month mm. or annually. Good luck finding a human being to talk to that you can really describe what you're trying to do and get an answer for it. And automation, technology, as much as it has enabled us to do things, it's also disabled us and detached us from human relationships and human contact, right? Mm. As far as the future of entrepreneurship, the future of business, I think the most successful business people are gonna be the ones who can understand the root, the root cause of success in business, which is interpersonal relationships. And I believe that the technology can help with certain aspects of our business. However, having deep, strong, personal relationships with suppliers, with business partners, with employees, that has to be maintained. It, it, it absolutely has to be maintained. The world is moving so fast with technology. And again, everybody is is digging into AI, but what does that really mean 15 years down the road? That means, Dante, that you and I may not even be physically in, in, talking to each other doing a podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe I just type in some words and there's this AI voice that sounds like me that's just providing answers to you. 
but with no thought behind it. It's just scraping the internet for information yeah. and just just putting that information in front of you. But there is no emotion about it. There, there's, and that's what I say when business has no soul, that it's become just a series of transactions for people, companies big and small. It's just these financial transactions. You click a button, you subscribe to a service. It's all online. There's no personal interaction whatsoever. You get a receipt. But then at the end of it, you're still lost and confused because the human interaction and the forks in the road that we have and the questions that we have oftentimes never get answered by the technology. But we become a slave to that technology, thinking that it's going to fix every single thing that we do in life. And back in the day, if I can even (laughs) use that phrase, everything was about talking to people. And people seem to be more satisfied because you really got the answer you were looking for. So I think Mm -hmm. technology and automation is going to help us do things a little bit quicker. It's also going to help us have a global reach with our business. We're able to connect with more people around the world more quickly and more effectively. The thing I just don't want to get lost in, in, in that automation and that technology boom is the fact that we are humans having a human experience. And whatever I'm selling to another person or another organization, it's typically about me helping them with the problem mm-hmm. or helping them do something they really want to do. But if we lose the fact that these are humans that we're providing products and services to, then we kind of miss the boat. And then it goes back to that Jeff Jeff Goldblum question, which is, should we have created AI that can replace any of us at any given point? Should we really have created that in, in the spirit of saving money or efficacy, right? And yeah. that's what I would say is that's a challenge we have today, really. It's quite scary, actually. I mean, could be my my clone avatar. We'll talk to your clone avatar. It will generate some words, as you say, it's scraped off the internet. And it could have the, uh, what would we say, the sort of like the illusion of a conversation. <laughs> and it'd probably be very coherent, but there wouldn't be any emotion attached to it. There wouldn't be any, as you say, soul, spirit, any any real emotion or whatever that is, you know, that intangible thing that happens when two people connect. Yeah. I mean, Dante, here just, just a quick example. Hmm. I had some family over, this was not long ago, and we just sat down and we talked and mm-hmm. no one was on their phone. It was about six of us. And we just sat and talked. No one was on their phone. We weren't watching TV. We weren't watching videos of cats falling out of trees. Right. Or crazy dances on TikTok. We were just having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's a lost art. It really is. Because conversely, we can be sitting at a. You can witness somebody sitting at a table at a restaurant four people. And each of them are on a phone. Yeah. And I know you've seen this. I've seen this. Your audience has seen this where you see people at a table having dinner and they are literally not physically. They're physically present, but mentally and emotionally, they're not there. Yeah. So it begs the question, why even go out in the first place in public and sit at a table? You could have just stayed home 
and did a video call and probably been more present than you were physically being two feet from one another. So again, the technology is there, but are we using it in the right way? Is technology really helping personal relationships or is it, or are people using it as a way to avoid personal interaction? You ever get on an elevator or go into, the, in, into an area and there are people there, the first thing that people do is turn their attention away from humans and start looking at their phone. And what that shows me is, is they don't know how to have personal relationships. Because now, instead of saying, hello, how are you doing today? They look down at their phone to avoid having to figure out how to greet someone that they just met. Right. You see it all the time. Yeah. So is it really a help or is it a hindrance? I'm all for technology. I like technology. The, I think to the root of your question, though, is what's going to happen down the road. I think we have to protect ourselves from this idea that just because there is some technology available, that we have to be early adopters of it. Yeah. Let's use it in moderation. Let's use it to do some of the things that will help us limit the amount of time we spend on other things so that we can focus on those personal relationships we have. I think yeah. from my standpoint, that's the beauty of it. Makes sense. And thanks in, in that context, then yeah, technology can be an enabler, but you can't be, you shouldn't be a slave to it and you should watch the negative impacts. If it's making you less associated, less less in the present, shall we say, then that's not a good thing. So it's about recognizing the signs and as well as the opportunities. So there is the downside as well. Uh, and you're right. It's not only that, it creates huge mental pressure on people. So yeah, very, very important to be aware of that. So thank you so much, Tony. I was just going to wrap up with some personal questions now, <laughs> if that's sure. okay. And, uh, yeah, 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 definitely. So what do you do in your spare time? What do you, uh, hobbies? Or, uh, yeah. What is spare time, Dante? <laughs> <laughs> Discretionary uh, what, what time, that if, if, that's, <laughs> if that's a thing, really. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But that's, you know, when I, yeah. I had to really think about that. And when is spare time? As an entrepreneur, it's 24 hours a day. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I'm, working 24 hours a day, all that means is that at any given moment, if I have an idea, mm. I may run to my computer or I may write it down. So your mind is working 24 hours a day. Yeah. I love to travel though. I, I really love to travel with my family, any opportunity we have to travel and I love to drive. So mm. if my wife says, Hey, let's, let's go drive to Chicago from Georgia. That's 12 hours. Okay. No problem. Give me one day. All I need is a day. Make sure I get my sleep in. That's it. Let's do it. So I love to travel. I love to read as well. Mm. I love to read biographies and autobiographies because I want to know the life stories of other people and how they were able to succeed against all odds. So between reading and traveling, those are the two things that I like more than anything else. A hobby, I love to shoot. I, I love going out and shooting. That's something that I really, really enjoy. It's as loud as it is, it's very peaceful for me. So those are my hobbies. <laughs> Makes sense. And it's like a flow state activity, I can imagine. They all sound sound to me like things that when you're in the flow, time passes quickly. So for sure. 
And um, speaking of reading, what three books would you recommend to our listeners and why? Great question. One of them is The Moment of Lift by Melinda Gates. That's Bill Gates' wife. Very intriguing book. I read it a couple of years ago, and it just talks about the plight of women around the world. Mm. And I just found it to be a very, very good read. Mm. That's one. Another book. Another book was by a singer, Alicia Keys, and it was called More Myself or More mm. Me, I believe. And I read that a couple of years ago as well. And the reason why I find that book to be fascinating is because here it is. This Grammy Award winning, one of the best selling artists on earth. And she's just an absolutely humble person. Her and her wife, or her and her husband, Swiss Beats, and just the life. And she's so much of a mom. It's just mm-hmm. really cool and refreshing to see some, someone who could be ultra successful, but to really be so in tune with personal life and personal development and just really being herself. When people told her she needed to be photoshopped, she needed more makeup, she said, I'm not wearing makeup. I'm not doing any of that. I just want to be me. And she really fought against it and continued to do well and not only do well, but she really excelled after she made the decision just to be herself. So I would say that's book number two. Book number three, there are so many. I would probably say Success Principles by Jack Canfield was another good book. And that one, it's a, it's a big book. It's a really big book. But the first chapter, one of the first things he says is you are responsible for your own success, no matter what you do in life. And that set the tone for that book. And I read it twice. And I think I'm on my third go round now of that book. And I go back to it for reference now, but that was a very, very, good book. I've read a lot of books in life and those were some of the, some of the few, the outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. I'll throw a fourth that that's a Mm. very important book. And the lessons that I got from that book is as much as we believe we are these ultra successful people who put, who lined up all of our ducks in a row and we did everything right in life and look at our success. Now it totally contradicts that. And there was a section about Bill Gates in there when he talked about the fact anytime you hear Bill Gates talks, talk, he'll tell you that he was very lucky and people glaze over that. And what he meant by that, which Malcolm digs into, was that he was born at a time. And Bill Gates would say five years earlier or five years later, if he would have been born, he probably wouldn't have founded Microsoft because he was born at a time when he became of age, about 17, 18, 19 years old, that's when the first PC was was built. Mm. And if someone else would would have created the software, the operating system for that machine five years before he got to that place, there would be no Microsoft. And I think the lesson for the audience is that as much as we do work really hard and as much as we study and we learn and continue to contribute, There is also a situation that we're born into that gives us an advantage or disadvantage. And we have to realize that. So people in my generation, I'm 52, 
we were born and we lived without the internet for years. But think mm -hmm. about the people right now who are 20 and they're born into the TikTok generation. They can get free advertising and free marketing. That mm -hmm. was something that we had to pay for newspaper ads 25 yeah. years ago, right? So they're born yeah. into this time where everything is free and we had to pay for it 20 years ago, right? So we're born yeah. into certain times that give us advantages. So it's not just about the work that we put in, but it's also about the circumstances that we're born into. Totally agree with that. Thank you for those. And uh, more than enough book recommendations, and I'll be adding a couple of those to my reading list because I haven't touched them yet <laughs> and I wasn't even aware. But yeah, definitely Jack Canfield sounds like if you've read it three, if you're going through your third pass, that's definitely one to put at the top of the list. So thanks a lot. And then um, do you have any projects you're working on right now that you'd care to share with our listeners? I would say right now I'm really focusing on getting my getting more exposure from my book. Hmm. And the reason is because everyone who's provided input or feedback says that it feels like a conversation like you and I are having, Dante. We're just hmm. talking about life and we know we're laughing. And everyone has said that that's the feeling that they have when they read it. And also, I think that this is a testimony to not me and who I am. But it's a testimony to the fact that I was able to be vulnerable enough to share difficult experiences in my life within the pages of, the, of that book was mm -hmm. that many people have bought three, four, five, six copies of it and sent it to family and friends. And, I, mm -hmm. and that's probably something I'm very proud of more than anything, is that someone has read it and said, you know what, I need to get this to my niece or I need to get this to my nephew because they really need to see the lessons that are here. And it's not a preachy book, not at all. It's not me telling you what to do. It's just me sharing examples. So right now, the, the, the main project that I'm doing is to really get it out to as many people, the content, and a lot of which we discussed today, Dante, in all honesty, mm -hmm. but to get that information out to people and hope that it connects with them like it's connected with a lot of the other readers. Yeah, and that's sounds like it's an amazing book. I'm going to order it after this call. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's been a very enjoyable conversation from my my side. And um, I think that's that's so important is to have a real story told authentically, because that will resonate with people. Because you're 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 giving so much of yourself. And I hope um, when I get to get around to writing my book, it's on my bucket list. Uh, that I can uh, I can do it justice as well, and um, you will. You have a lot to offer. I'll be one of your first first buyers of your book for sure. Oh, thank you, Tony. Uh, that's that's more motivation for me to get started. <laughs> uh, so it's been a pleasure. And for those who those listeners who would like to reach out to you, Tony, um, what's the best place to find you and connect with you online? Absolutely. The first place is TonyRKitchens.com. That's my mm -hmm. website. All of the social links are at the bottom. For mm -hmm. those looking to read and read the book, it's giftofpainbook.com. And it'll take you straight to that landing page, more information, and you can order either paperback, audiobook, which Dante, I recorded myself, 10 mm -hmm. hours of, of reading the book out loud. 
and then an ebook as well for the for the younger people who like to read on the go. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, and I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes as well. So, Tony, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Dante. I really enjoyed it. And good luck to the audience in whatever business venture that they decide to take on or whatever goals that they have in life. I wish them all just the best success. This has been Business Breaks, and you've been listening to Tony Kitchens. Thank you. This podcast shares experiences and insights gained from business, IT, and digital finance. Hosted by two leaders who have made the leap themselves, this show is dedicated to helping listeners think differently about their career aspirations. 